Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. Today is February 23rd, 2020, and last night on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, we witnessed hockey history. Uh, I switched from the Canadian Senators game in the third period, actually, to watch David Ayers of the Carolina Hurricanes, also Zamboni driver of the Toronto Marlies, get the first ever win credit for a win for an emergency backup goalie in national hockey league history there were a lot of, a lot of trades this week blake coleman andre kasha marco scandella we're gonna get to all of that but first we both felt like we should start the show with this tremendous piece of news that has overtaken the hockey universe yeah i was it was probably one of the greatest things i've ever seen uh as a hockey fan it was just so entertaining and frankly it was just it was hilarious i mean like you have this guy 42 years old. Uh, frankly, he didn't look like he belonged in the NHL whatsoever. Obviously, this guy's never played not. pro. And, uh, you know, he just he looked like some scrub out there. And he, he managed to pull out the win. Uh, what was it? He, he had a shutout in the third period. Uh, he managed to get it together after, you know, letting in a goal on his first two shots. And so, uh, and it, it just, the, the whole look was, was good. Like, not only was his technique just, you know, he looked out of place, but also he had that Marley's uh, helmet on. Which just yeah. made the whole situation that much funnier, uh, and so yeah, just uh, and and the story that goes with it too, you know, this guy he, he's basically like a beer league hockey player, uh, and, and he's actually been, he's actually playing the game as an emergency backup goalie in the AHL for the Charlotte Checkers, uh, and so yeah, as you said, he's a rink uh, assistant, a Zamboni driver for the Marlies, and uh, yeah, just you you never see these backup these emergency backup goalies because it's so rare to see both goalies go down. Uh, but that's what happened with Carolina. And uh, just just an all-time great moment for hockey last night and uh, an all-time low for Leafs fans. Yeah, see, that's the other thing I wanted to mention is the main storyline that's come out of this isn't how amazing David Ayers was because he, he barely faced, he only gave up two quick goals and then uh, the Leafs barely challenged him at all after that. So And that's the, that's the main thing about it is that the Leafs, kind of embarrassed themselves if they had played fine and got uh some scoring chances made any sort of push and David Ayers managed managed to hold them off then that would be the story it would be more of a feel-good story you know with uh David Ayers uh coming out of nowhere being being uh a competent goalie but that wasn't the story at all the Leafs just embarrassed them embarrassed themselves barely challenged him at all and that's why uh Leafs Nation is in such a frenzy right now so frustrated yeah, I mean, they were just totally outplayed. Uh, credit to Carolina for playing an outstanding game in front of a goalie who they'd literally never met before last night. Think yep. about that. Like, they got a stranger playing behind them. And uh, and just, what, they, they had, like, almost 50 shots on net. Uh, and I think the Leafs had, like, half of that. And so, uh, yeah, just a total, they got, the Leafs got totally shut down. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, at the, when you look at the other team and you see you're all like an employee of your team uh, standing in an NHL net, your opponent's, uh, he's, he's your opponent's goal. I don't understand how you just don't start shooting the puck uh, just, you know, from wherever you can, because he did let in two pretty soft goals to start the game. And so, uh, yeah, it just made no sense. They couldn't get anything going on offense. 
and just Carolina totally shut them out uh, in the defensive zone. And yeah, just the, the dominance. I mean, I I thought the Leafs were going to win the game after uh, when it was 4-1 for the Canes and the Leafs scored those first, those two quick goals in under two minutes. I thought, okay, mm-hmm. well, uh, looks like Carolina just really unlucky, uh, but looks like they're going to lose this one with, you know, a Marley's employee in net. But it just seemed that the Leafs, they they, they kind of, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was something mental where they just kind of shut off uh, because they they thought, oh, this is going to be so easy. We're going to win this game. Uh, no biggie. But uh, it just seems like they shut it off. And one team clearly wanted to win. One team was playing hard. Uh, and that was the Hurricanes. And they totally deserved to, w- to win the game because the Maple Leafs were just totally outclassed. And for a team that's play that's you know fighting for a playoff spot, uh, both actually both of these teams are, are in the thick of you know the playoff bubble, uh, you know trying to get those those last playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. And this is an absolutely crucial game for both of these teams. And, and to come out like this, uh, totally embarrassing for the Leafs. And frankly, after that kind of effort, uh, and and really given the past uh, many of the efforts we've seen in the in the past couple of weeks from the Leafs, I, I really don't think that this is a playoff team. Uh, talent-wise on paper, definitely, but just just looking at, you know, on ice, the eye test, they really just, they don't look uh, prepared for the playoffs whatsoever. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about this last night, and the, the two words that I used were killer's instinct in terms of what the Leafs definitely seemed to be lacking in that game against the Hurricanes last night. If, if this, uh, if a team like the Penguins or the, the Bruins or the, the St. Louis Blues were in a situation like that where uh, their opponent had to bring in an emergency backup goalie with no professional experience, then they would be, you know, smelling blood. They'd be like, all right, this is our chance. We, we're going to put this game away as soon as possible. They would have scored probably uh, eight, nine, ten goals in a game like that. And, and the Leafs uh, kind of didn't have that. They, they scored those two quick goals. And then they kind of, I don't know if it's maybe subconsciously uh, thinking, oh, uh, it's going to be easy to score against him, not wanting to embarrass the other the other team. That's the kind of thing uh, that, uh, that that really soured them. And then and then once you don't once you go through the third period, and uh, you get scored on against a couple times, and you're having trouble producing uh, producing any scoring chances, producing any offense, it kind of starts to snowball, and you start to get. Uh, feel a little even more pressure on yourself they had a power player they they couldn't get any opportunities their own fans are booing them and it just gets worse and worse and worse yeah they just look they mentally they look totally soft uh it's like you know they can't really it just seems that they can't bear down and go through a stretch where they're playing you know kind of a gritty style of hockey that we see uh throughout the you know throughout the years is necessary if you want to make it through the playoffs because it is a grind and, and so you know if for for someone like me who's you know rather analytics based, uh, it kind of pains me to say that these that these the, the reason they're 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 not winning or they're doing poorly is because you know they're soft, they don't have that grit, they don't have that sandpaper. But that's probably the reality. I mean, they just they look soft out there uh, night in night out, and it's just that they they can't seem to you know keep it together mentally. Uh, over the course of the season, and we're just talking about the regular season here. God knows what they'll do in the in the playoffs, given you know their past history as a franchise, uh, but also given the fact that once you get to the end of the season, uh, the intensity ramps up, and that grit, that sandpaper, as hard as it is to quantify, it just becomes that much more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people. I also wanted to mention a little bit of an aside, but not really. Uh, we're comparing this to the Scott Foster situation a couple of years ago in Chicago. Uh, you probably remember. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times, actually. Um, both Blackhawks goalies 
got injured in that game. I think it was uh, Corey Crawford and Colin Delia, and the emergency backup goalie Scott Foster had to come in. But with that situation, I'm pretty sure the Blackhawks already had uh, quite a big lead, 6-3, 7-3, something like that. And he only came in for the last six or seven minutes or so. Uh, he did make a, a couple saves, a couple nice-looking saves, and uh, they held on for the win. But that was really nothing like this situation. First of all, uh, Scott Foster didn't get uh, get credit for the win because he wasn't on the ice for the game-winning goal. But also, David Ayers was in net for uh, almost half the game, and the Leafs uh, managed only those those two early goals. Uh, and uh, Dmitry Filipovic put it put it a pretty in a funny way. Uh, he said the Carolina Hurricanes, since having an employee of the opposing team in net have a plus one goal differential. So, so the Hurricanes definitely picked up their game there, scored like uh, three goals. Because when David Ayers came in, it was only three to one. The, the game was well in reach. So this, was, this wasn't really very similar to the Scott Foster situation very much at all. This was, I would say, on a, on a new level of, of special and memorable. Yeah, and just the, the most absurd part to me is, yeah, he played for, for a while, a long time, played half the game. But just the fact that, you know, with the Scott Foster situation, that game was in Chicago uh, and, you know, he, 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 he was playing for the home team. Uh, in this scenario, you know, where, where the Leafs are the home team and this guy is an employee of the Marlies, I think that's the craziest part because not like this guy, he practices with the Maple Leafs sometimes. He's their practice goalie sometimes on the ice. I know uh, mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter that the plan was he was actually going to practice with the Maple Leafs today. Uh, they ended up canceling that practice. Uh, but uh, yeah, just this guy, it's not like, like I saw something on Twitter. It was like, it's not like, the Leafs don't have the book on this guy. They literally see him in practice all the time. And so it's like, uh, that's just insane to me uh, that you're you're kind of putting this effort uh, against the guy that you see all the time on home ice. Uh, and that's just the most embarrassing part of this whole thing. Uh, you saw in, uh, you know, the, the Scotiabank Center, you started, started hearing the boos raining down from the crowd, and, and deservedly so, because this team was playing like dog shit, uh, against a goalie who works for their organization and who has never played uh, professional hockey in his life, save for one time when he was the emergency backup goalie for an AHL team. And so, yeah, this guy has no experience whatsoever. Uh, and just, yeah, embarrassing. And I just want to turn a bit to maybe the positive side to the story. Uh, just Let's just focus on David Ayers a bit. Uh, absolutely fantastic story. I mean, the more you look into this guy, uh, you know, it just gets better. This guy had a kidney transplant in 2004. He never thought he'd play hockey again. Uh, you know, barely goalie. And, you know, it's just, it's just kind of the, the, the every, every, every guy's fantasy, right? You come in and you're, you've never played in the NHL in your life. You come in as an emergency backup goalie. Both goalies have been hurt. Uh, and you end up pulling up in the clutch. And so, and not to mention I, that, that post-game interview. Uh, that he had with yeah. I think it was Kyle Bukowski. Uh Just one of my favorite all, uh, post-game interviews of all time. I, I think I've ranted before on how those, like, you know, hockey interviews, they're usually crap uh, and they give you no information whatsoever. Uh, but this guy was just, uh, you know, a pure interview and he let his, uh, you know, you he, he just saw how happy he was to, to be there. And uh, yeah, just a great story from David Ayers. Yeah, I was actually I was just about to mention the the interview. He didn't say anything that was necessarily so heavy or interesting in a vacuum, but he at the very least had an engaging personality. Uh, he and he was fun to watch, memorable, memorable, memorable guy. I could tell. So 
that was a yeah great interview. And uh, in terms of the Leafs, maybe we could uh, close on uh, on them in a in a minute. But this could be the kind of loss that potentially snowballs into something worse. They have a pretty tough schedule coming up. They play Tampa Bay on Tuesday, then Florida, who's their their main uh, team who they're battling with for that last third place spot in the Atlantic Division, and then the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday, who just beat the Bruins nine to three last night. So if if this uh, loss is could be potentially quite damaging to the the Maple Leafs if they can't turn it around pretty quick, or maybe they could prove us wrong, and this could be uh, the have the opposite kind of effect, kind of be a wake-up call of sorts, and they could go on a little bit, bit of a, a run. So I don't know. That'll be definitely even more intriguing to, to follow the Leafs uh, after after last night. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm inclined to believe that given their past history this season of, of mental weakness and of softness, uh, that they will this will snowball. Uh, and potentially, and, and given the schedule, the very tough schedule that you just mentioned, uh, this has, you know, this potentially, not only just mentally, but also standings-wise, they really needed these points against Carolina. Uh, this could snowball into, you know, a, a rough stretch for this team. And, uh, and, and I couldn't be more for it because, goddamn, this is entertaining as crap. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm just here eating my popcorn. Uh, the half season is basically over. And so as I turn my uh, focus to this playoff race, uh, and to my, you know, to these despised Leafs, uh, I, I'm just all here for this. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think that could uh, wrap it up on the, the Leafs situation, the David Ayer situation. Um, so as we expected, there were quite a few trades this week, 16 of them since our last show. Uh, we decided we are going to walk through them each chronologically, one by one, talk about them a little bit. And uh, then look ahead to some potential trades later on today and tomorrow, which is trade deadline day. So probably won't be long before the show is out of date, but uh, that, that's what you do around trade deadline time. That's always the case. So uh, the first trade, uh, Andy Green was traded from New Jersey to the New York Islanders in exchange for David Quenville and a 2021 second round pick. Uh, this trade actually broke while I was in the middle of uploading last week's show, so we just barely missed talking about it last week. Um, the, the consensus for a lot of people was a second-round pick is quite a nice return for the Devils on a defenseman who really isn't very good and is exactly what the New York Islanders don't need right now, a team that is, uh, well, their calling card at the moment is being defensively sound, and Andy Green kind of brings exactly that to the table. It doesn't really add a new dimension to the team. Yeah, it just seems like this guy is uh, perfect for the Islanders system. But yeah, yeah, I don't think they need any more guys uh, like Andy Green. I think the the problem with this team is their scoring, and then I think you know you need to add somebody dynamic. And I think Andy Green is frankly the opposite of that. Uh, he's like thirty six, and at this point in his career, he's just basically only a defensive defenseman. And so, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that front. I think a second-round pick uh, is definitely pricey. And uh, I, I would say that the, the the Devils are the winners in this trade because even despite the fact that Andy Green was their captain, uh, given the quality of the player, uh, I, I do think that they probably come out as the winners. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, the Devils being winners, uh, next is probably one of the most lopsided deadline deals that I can remember, uh, at, le- at least in terms of, you know, on the day of, the Tampa Bay Lightning could win the Stanley Cup and then it wouldn't matter. But they they acquired Blake Coleman, 
who I would describe as a, a second-line winger or maybe on the Lightning, a very strong third-line winger, a deep offensive team, in exchange for Nolan Foote and uh, Vancouver's first-round pick that Tampa Bay had acquired for JT Miller. Uh, the, the pick will fall to 2021 if Vancouver misses the playoffs, which was the original condition that uh, st- sticks with the pick, obviously. Uh, that pick is probably going to be around 20th overall. Unless the Canucks uh, make the conference finals, which is a possibility, it could be 28th overall. And Nolan Foote was the first rounder of the Lightning just this past draft, 2019. He was dominant for Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, He's got a game-breaking shot, power forward potential, possibly top six potential. So the Devils, I would say, made out like bandits in this trade with Blake Coleman. There were a couple other suitors, Boston, Colorado, Edmonton, where I think the the main ones listed, and Tampa Bay kind of uh, ponied up this heavy price that I assume blew all the other ones out of the water. Yeah, I mean, just what a return for the Devils. Uh, Just these last two trades, the second-round pick from the Islanders, and then to get basically what is, in essence, two first-round picks, right, Nolan Ford from last year, and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the first-round pick this year from Vancouver. Uh, Just a great return uh, on a guy who, you know, borderline top six uh, on the Lightning. However, uh, while I do think, you know, the Devils, huge winners, uh, and, and, you know, just huge winners, I do think that this... This trade has, you know, some some market positives uh, for the Lightning. I mean, frankly, with the cap situation that they have because they have so many stars locked up, uh, they're kind of handcuffed. And the number of moves that they, they can make is, you know, restricted by the cap space of the players that they're bringing in. And so a guy like Blake Coleman, uh, who has uh, a year left after this, uh, who, you know, can play a top six role, who will be probably an elite third liner on this Lightning team, uh, I think, you know, they, they this guy can really help them given that his cap hit is only $1.8 million for this year and next. And so uh, I think for the Lightning, be, given how well they've been playing recently, I think uh, they really, I mean, this is their window, right? They're just, their team is so talented. Uh, yep. To go all in is probably the correct move here. Uh, and, and like what the, the question is, right? What, what more, what, like there are not, there are only a very limited range of moves that they could have made. Uh, and Blake Coleman was probably the perfect target for them. And so uh, overpaying uh, probably made sense for them, despite, you know, it hurts definitely to give, you know, Nolan Foot away, a first-round pick away. Uh, but I think it was probably a move that they needed to make, given that, you know, this year, uh, especially, you know, especially given what happened last year where they totally bombed against the Blue Jackets, uh, I think this year is really a make-or-break uh, where they have to make a deep run. I, like they, they basically have to make it to the conference finals, let alone, you know, making it to the Stanley Cup finals. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think they, they needed this kind of guy because just what else were they going to do? Yeah, well, they didn't necessarily need to uh, make any sort of acquisitions. I probably wouldn't wouldn't have given up that price for Blake Coleman. I, de- I definitely wouldn't have uh, because, well... I just I don't think the the Lightning necessarily needed it. I don't think I don't see why they were why they would be so desperate for it. And you talk about them being up against the cap now and probably for the for as long as they're contenders, which is hopefully for them going to be quite a long time. Uh, you need guys like uh, Nolan Foote who are going to be coming in on entry level deals soon, and whoever that first round pick is going to be this year, possibly an uh, uh, equal caliber player. So I can sort of see the logic from the Lightning. It definitely it boosts them up for this year. It's 
definitely doesn't hurt, but I still probably wouldn't have made it. Uh, from the from the Devils' point of view, they now have three first round picks this year, their own, which will be very high. The the Coyotes, which is looking like it could be somewhere in the twelve to fifteen range, and and the Canucks pick, which as I said is going to be around twenty. So this is going to be quite the quite the first round, quite the draft for the Devils uh, coming up in June. Um, yeah, moving on to the, the yeah, anything? yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, for a team uh, that was supposed to contend for the playoffs this year, they sure have turned around into a rebuild very fast. Uh, and they, mm-hmm. they, they seem to have been, been doing pretty well at that. And so I guess we'll move on to the next trade. Uh, pretty big one, given that Tyler Toffoli uh, was one of the big names on these trade lists. And so he's on the move uh, to the Vancouver Canucks, who acquired him for a second-round pick, a, co- a conditional fourth. Tim Schaller, who was there mostly for cap space, uh, and the big name here is Tyler Madden, uh, you know, a prospect who was, I think he's he's a defenseman, if I'm not wrong. And uh, oh, He's a center. He he's been, a center. He's a center. Okay. Sorry. And given what I've seen on, uh, you know, the scouting reports uh, recently on this guy, uh, he's a pretty highly touted, touted prospect. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Madden was a third round pick, I believe, a couple of years ago. And I hadn't really been tracking his development so closely. So when I saw this trade break, I, I said, uh, it's a decent return for the Kings. Not not overwhelming, especially uh, that I was under the influence of the Blake Coleman trade that had happened the day before, which was uh, an insane return we just finished talking about. This one just seemed, seemed kind of all right. But uh, pretty much everyone, all the, all the experts seem to agree that the Kings got uh, a very nice return. Tyler Madden has been over, well over a point of game in the NCAA this year. And a lot of people seem to think he could make the NHL uh, next season. Or maybe even uh, at the very end of this season, if there's, I think he would be eligible to sign a contract uh, for the last couple of games of the season with the, the Kings. Uh, Tim Schaller is uh, probably a fourth liner at best, as you said, just to balance the cap hits. Tyler Toffoli... Uh, has been fitting in uh, quite well with the Canucks so far. He got several points in their uh, their win over the Bruins last night. And especially with the Canucks having so many injuries on the wings, uh, Michael Furlan still out, Brock Besser possibly missing the rest of the season, Josh Levo out long-term too. Uh, they really needed a, a boost like this, uh, a top-six winger like Tyler Toffoli, who I believe is playing with uh, Bo Horvat who had been previously playing with Louis Erickson. So that's definitely a big upgrade to that second line. And uh, yeah, so this definitely helps to provide a boost for the Canucks to show that they are, they're serious about making a run in the playoffs this year. Yeah. And I think that they, they, they look great. I mean, we, we talked about how they dominated the Bruins last night. I think it was nine three. And so, yep. uh, yeah, it looks like they're going all in this year. And uh, it's been a long time for these Canucks. Uh, it just seems like since 2011, this franchise uh, has you know kind of fallen into the basement, and so you know it's nice to see a new team, uh, Canadian team, making a push. And so, and I think for the Kings, uh, this trade, long term, the success of this trade really balances out on. Uh, it's based on how how well Tyler Madden develops as a, as a player, because you know a second round pick, eh, it's all right. Uh, conditional fourth, you know, whatever, that's a throw in. And so, yeah, I think Tyler Madden's definitely a player to watch. Uh, and years down the line, when we you know, look back at this trade, I think. That'll probably be, you know, how that'll probably determine the, who won this trade. Yeah. All right. Uh, next deal is a, a minor league trade pair of prospects. Carolina traded Julian Gauthier to the New York Rangers for Joey Keane. Uh, we'll just t- spend about 20 seconds on this. Julian Gauthier was a, a first round pick. He scored a lot of goals in the AHL, hasn't been able to crack the Hurricanes lineup yet. 
uh, at 22 years old. Joey Keane is a couple years younger. Uh, he's a third-round pick, a defenseman. Uh, most people tend to say that this trade is a win for the Rangers. I would agree with them. Just because uh, Gauthier, I feel like, still has a higher ceiling to potentially be a, a good third-liner with offensive upside. Joey Keane... I don't know. I don't know too much about. He's been pretty good in the AHL, but uh, I don't know if there's there's an incredible amount of upside there. Yep. Yeah, you got to wonder if the Canes uh, gave up on Julian Gauthier a bit too fast. Yep. All right. Uh, the next deal. Uh, won't spend too much time on Gauthier and Keane. Was Ottawa trading Dylan DeMello to the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a third round pick? And from what we had thought at that point was a a seller's market. This was a pretty underwhelming return for someone who was possibly the Senator's second best defenseman after Thomas Shabbat, who uh, by all metrics is apparently a great defensive defenseman, great shot suppressor. And we could kind of tell watching the Senators last night, especially in that first period, that it really seemed they were really missing some sort of stabilizing presence on defense. And the Jets, of course, without... Without Bufflin, it's been well documented their their thin depth on defense this season. Someone like Dylan DeMello is must be a very welcome addition. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think it just kind of fleeced the, the the Senators given the market. I mean, we'll get into the the two other trades for uh, you know kind of depth defensemen and their return, uh, and just compared to those two trades, uh, it just seems like DeMello's uh, return is very underwhelming given. Uh, his quality of play this year on a dog shit Senators team. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think the Jets win this one because, as you said, they really needed that that defensive depth, and I don't think they were in much of a position of leverage in terms of trades uh, for defensemen. And for Ottawa to come out with only a third uh, has got to be very underwhelming for the organization and its fans. Yeah, uh, the next two defensemen uh, that I think you're making reference to, Brendan Dillon and Marco Scandella, who we are just about to get to, I would say that Dillon DeMello is probably the best one out of out of those three. All of them are pending UFAs. All of them, I would say, uh, fit best on a bottom pair. Uh, if you ask me who I'd rather have on my team, it's definitely Dylan DeMello, especially considering the fact that he is the cheapest against the cap. And, and the fact that he got the, the lowest return is, uh, is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a head-scratcher. And uh, as we've said multiple times, uh, this Senators organization, very poorly run, and uh, you know it shows in these trades. Uh, so I think we'll move on to the next trade. Uh, one of these other defensemen, chronologically, it was Brendan Dillon who was traded next. And so uh, he goes from the Sharks, who have totally collapsed and are now sellers. Uh, he goes to them 50% retained to the Capitals uh, for a second-round pick and a conditional third. Uh, and so it can become, and the condition is that if the Caps win the Stanley Cup, then, uh, then the third round pick in 2021 will instead become a 2020 third round pick, and so yeah, that's that. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, uh, first of all, that condition is pretty funny because when you see conditional third, you imagine it would move up to a second, but actually, it would just move from uh, most likely late third rounder around number 90 in 2021 up to. Uh, middle of the middle of the pack third round pick around 15 spots higher and one year before so not such a drastic difference <laughs> but uh yeah uh i would well the capitals have done this uh three years in a row now acquiring uh a depthish defenseman at the deadline michael kempney the year they won the stanley cup proved to be a great partner for john carlson nick jensen last year didn't fit in uh 
as well as they had hopes for. Capitals lost in the first round. Another trying out, trying it out with Brendan Dillon, who I believe is actually uh, playing alongside John Carlson now. At least he did against the Canadians the other night. Uh, he is probably bottom pair defenseman. Known, he's a similar player to Radko Gudis. Um, of known to be uh, like one of the, like an old school defensive defenseman, tough defenseman, you know, shove you around. So the the kind of thing that many people would say is uh, goes well with playoff hockey. So I don't mind the acquisition for the Capitals. Second and third round picks seems a little bit heavy for a bottom pair defenseman. But uh, as we said, it's seller's market. I would have I would think it might have made more sense for them to go for Dylan DeMello, even though they do already have. Uh, three right shots maybe one of them could play the offside i think john carlson has before uh but yeah i don't really uh hate the deal for washington and i like it for the sharks obviously you're going to be you're going to be selling when you're near the bottom of the league even though you don't have your first round pick you've got to start accumulating those assets for the future yeah uh, i don't know what else much to add i mean uh it just seems like your your standard trade deadlines season kind of trade where uh you know washington gets a depth guy and uh, the Sharks uh, get a very good return for who is, you know, for a depth guy. Uh, second round pick definitely comes in handy. And uh, yeah, for, for a team that's in the basement they, they, and who basically has traded away all their picks, they probably need to retool and get some picks because they're pretty bad right now. Uh, and so yep. moving on to uh, oh. the, the most Habs relevant favorite, uh, my favorite. of the week because, because it does involve the Habs. My favorite as well. Uh, Marco Scandella recently acquired Bang. for a fourth round pick by the Habs for a, for from the Sabers uh, was then flipped to the Blues a few weeks later for a conditional fourth and a second round pick, baby. Second, woo! Uh, amazing, amazing but, work yeah, by Mark Bergevin. Incredible right, asset that's... management. Uh, yeah, go for it. You want to start? Yeah, I was just going to say something, and then I kind of lost my train of thought. Let me see if I can figure it out a little bit. So with uh, with Marco Scandella, uh, man, I, I had something, then I lost it. Ah, oh, that sucks. Well, uh, I'm going to run with it a little bit. The, for the Blues, I mean, this uh, was kind of a trade they were they were going to try to make. I feel as though they were really in the thick of it for Brendan Dillon. Then they lost out, so then they kind of just turned to, to Marco Scandella and paid a similar price for this their their B option, and that's why the Canadians were able to to get such a such a great deal for him. Uh, a lot of people making fun of the the Sabers for this, rightfully so. Uh, obviously, if they had just held on to him, then they quite possibly could have gotten this return for him, the second round pick instead of just a fourth round pick. Uh, but I would, I also I feel like the Blues could possibly deserve a little bit of criticism here because it really does look like they overpaid. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say before. Uh, what I was going to say is that we were perhaps uh, a little bit wrong about Marco Scandella and his and his value because you I think you even mentioned you thought Nate Thompson could possibly score a higher draft pick than Scandella. You mentioned that just a couple weeks ago. I don't see Nate Thompson scoring a second round pick. Uh, we thought maybe Scandella would get uh, a fourth at best, but uh, to get a second round pick, even one that's going to be in a late second round for this guy who uh, was honestly not super impressive as a bottom pair defenseman. I don't think he was that much better with Montreal than he was with Buffalo. Um, it's amazing. Uh, Mark Bergevin, obviously, there are plenty of other things we can criticize about him. But in terms of trading, I don't think he's lost a deal in quite a while at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just this kind of trade 
great asset management that we expect from Mark Bergevin because he, he's done it so often now. And it just seems that, you know, when it comes to these kind of rebuilding trades, uh, he, he's excellent at them. And I, I think that kind of brings me to my greater point. Uh, we talked about, you know, how qualified is Mark Bergevin being a GM, how frustrated we are, uh, at how this team seems to just be mediocre a lot of the time. Well, I think after this, this week, uh, and given his success in this this trade here, I think I've come to my conclusion on this general manager, which is that he's a very good general manager for a rebuilding team. He seems to know what he's doing uh, when it comes to, you know, getting picks for players, you know, and like flipping guys. He just, he just seems like he's really good at that kind of stuff. But when it comes to, you know, managing a playoff team, uh, knowing when a playoff team, when a team is a playoff team, uh, and, and making that push, getting it over the edge, making a deep playoff run. Uh, frankly, it just seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. And so uh, when you look at this kind of trade, when the halves are, you know, frankly, in tank mode, uh, you look at this kind of stuff and you're like, great, fantastic. Marco Scandella, uh, I did not think of, like, I'm eating crow right now because I totally misjudged the trade market on this guy. But as you mentioned, he was nothing spectacular whatsoever. I mean, it just seems like he was a bottom pair defenseman. And to get a second and a conditional fourth, uh, is pretty remarkable. And so, yeah, I think the Blues overpaid. I think they needed defenseman after Boomister. Uh, but, yeah, just, just an overall great trade from Bergevin. But I think this is his area of specialty. Uh, and we were talking about this. We were kind of laughing. We should get, you know, a selling G Like, a, a funny concept <laughs> would be, you know, if we had a selling GM in Bergevin and we hired another guy as a buying GM and... Uh, I mean, it's a silly concept, but I think that'd be hilarious. And and I think that, frankly, he's not very good at leading a team, uh, you know, past the first round of the playoffs because, yeah, just this history of booze has shown that when he's he just he just can't make that push. Yeah. Uh, one thing that Canadians fans will be watching come playoff time uh, should be rooting for the St. Louis Blues because the condition on that fourth round pick, if the Blues make the third round and Scandella plays at least half the games, then the Canadians will be receiving that fourth round pick. Uh, otherwise, if they don't, then they c still could receive the fourth round pick if Scandella would happen to re-sign with the Blues. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if he would. So. Mainly the playoffs would be the thing to watch with that pick. All right, uh, moving on. There were no more trades uh, for the rest of that day. But the next day, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, who we were making fun of a little bit earlier in the show, uh, I would say ripped off the Florida Panthers, the team that they are in main competition with for that third-place position in the Atlantic Division. They acquired NHL player Dennis Mulgan, who, uh, for the most part, I think has fit in nicely, save obviously last night when nobody seemed to be playing well, uh, acquired Dennis Mulligan in exchange for Mason Marchment, who barely has any NHL experience. And from what I've heard and seen during that NHL experience, he was minimally impressive, probably maxes out as a fourth liner. Yeah, so I, I just, I don't know what Florida's thinking here, frankly. Uh, this is an NHL player, Dennis Mulligan, uh, and you traded him for an AHL player, Mason Marchment. And so, yeah, just very confusing. Uh, I hate to see it because I don't like it when the Leafs win trades. Uh, and uh, yeah, not much else to say. Just uh, Panthers got ripped off. Leafs came out like bandits, and I'm just upset about it. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so next deal. You don't have to spend too much time on the small ones. Uh, the LA Kings traded Alec Martinez, who's been a mainstay on their defense for both of their Stanley Cups, including Stanley Cup winning goal in 2014. Uh, they... 
dealt him to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, in exchange for two second-round picks. Vegas is this year, and St. Louis is in 2021. Considering the the market, I don't hate it for Vegas. You seem to have a little bit of a different opinion, though. Yeah, I, I just don't like it. Uh, I, I, I think they overpaid uh, for a guy who is, frankly, a depth defenseman and who is probably overpaid for a depth defenseman. I think he signed till next year as well, and his cap hit is $4 million. Uh, Alec Martinez, at this point in his career, uh, not a guy I want to be paying $4 million a year and not a guy I want to be trading two second-round picks for uh, at the trade deadline. I've been on this Vegas management team ever since the expansion draft. It just seems that they've made a bunch of questionable moves. Uh, and I, I think, frankly, this is one of them because he's just a depth defenseman. I don't understand why you're – and he's overpaid. And Alec Martinez, at the peak of his career, was probably, like, hardly even worth two second-round picks, frankly. And, and he's on the – I don't know how old he is. Let me just look that up real quick. But just – I, I don't understand. Like, I yeah, sure, you can use the defenseman. Okay, you can use the defense help. You're trying to make a push. He's 32 years old, and but I just I don't I don't get this from Vegas because it just seems that they're overpaying with two pick two second round picks uh, for a guy who's frankly overpaid. Yeah, I, you call him a depth depth defenseman. I don't know if that's quite fair. I mean, Alec Martinez. He what he's going to do is he's going to round out their top four. Nate Schmidt, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, and Alec Martinez is uh, the Golden Knights' top four. Now, before that, they had guys like Nick Holden, Derek Englund, John Merrill filling in there. So this is definitely a, a very good upgrade to the number four position for Vegas. Not to mention, they were reportedly in on Eric Gustafson, who is also, I would call, a top four defenseman. So uh, Vegas kind of um, strengthening a bit of a weakness heading into the playoff push. Uh, I don't know if they will be acquiring Eric Gustafson. No word on that. But if not, maybe somebody else. So I think that for, for a team that's going to be gunning for a Stanley Cup, especially in a wide open Western Conference, um, I don't. I don't really. I don't really mind the deal very much, or nearly as much as you do. Uh, next trade okay. later on. Later on that day. Uh, we say there's no such thing as a small trade, or at least I say that. But this this one comes pretty close. Uh, Ottawa trades Max Verano to Toronto for Aaron Luchuk and a conditional 2021 sixth round pick. Max Verano, I think, has a little bit of NHL experience last season. Nothing too exceptional. Uh, I would call him a, a so-so average AHL player this season. Uh, and Aaron Luchuk, if I'm not mistaken, has spent most of the season in the ECHL. Uh, yeah, he is. he's over a point a game, uh, but it's in the ECHL. for uh, That's Aaron Luchuk. So uh, quite a, a small deal there. I don't expect you would have any sort of advanced opinion about it. No, I've, never, I've literally never heard of these guys. So uh, nope, nothing from me. All right, cool. Uh, next, uh, possibly even less consequential, Philadelphia trades goalie Jean-Francois Berube to the New York Rangers who will be their fourth-string goalie for the time being for future considerations, which translates to uh, nothing. Flyers just freeing up a contract slot. That's the benefit they get. And the Rangers get some goaltending depth for their AHL team. Yay. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what else to add. Uh, so we'll funny, move on to the next trade. Yeah? But, uh, funny thing with uh, Jean-François Berube, I just... Uh, Thought, thought I'd mention a couple of years ago, I think it was the 16 17 season. Yeah, that's what it was. 
he was the third string goalie on the Islanders. And for whatever reason, they kept him on the roster the entire season, playing behind their two goalies, who I think at that point were Yaro Halak and Thomas Grice. They kept Barube on the on the roster. They didn't want to put him on waivers because they were too afraid to, to lose him on waivers. And he didn't play uh, the entire season. And they ended up working out, working out a side deal with the Golden Knights at the expansion draft to send him there. So, uh, so, yeah, he kind of became a little bit of a meme at that point because of that, of the Islanders not wanting to lose him, but also never playing him. So that's my little story about, about JFB. Perfect. Okay, so moving on. All right, amazing. Uh, from that, uh, we have another Habs trade. Uh, this uh-huh. one considerably uh, with a smaller, considerably less of a return. Uh, but we, we traded away Philip Verone and uh, Riley Barber. Uh, two AHL players, and we got back Joseph Blandizi and uh, Jacob Lucchini. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, any thoughts on these, this this four-player trade uh, consisting of four AHL players? Yeah, uh, I would call it a win for the Canadians, actually. Uh, just, well, if we're not going to dive deep into these Canadians deals, then uh, what are we even doing here, right? So uh, Joseph Blandizi, I'd say, is the best of the four. He's got the the most NHL experience. He could fill in on a on a fourth line. He can play center or wing if you need him to. And uh, Riley Barber did play a little bit with the Canadians this year. Uh, he was well barely noticeable, which is basically what you would expect. Uh, and Philip Veroni did win AHL MVP a couple seasons ago, I believe. But they're both uh, pending UFAs, so they were quite possibly both going to leave uh, Montreal, or I guess more accurately, leave the Laval Rocket and head elsewhere. Meanwhile, Joseph Landisi, Jacob Luchini, uh, both RFAs. Uh, I don't necessarily expect them both to be qualified in terms of uh, Montreal seizing control on them, but if they wanted to, then they could. Uh, they have that option, whereas they didn't have that with Veroni and Barber. So especially with Joseph Landisi, I think he could maybe be uh, uh, an important part of the Laval Rocket for the rest of this season and possibly moving forward if if they want to hold on to him. Yeah, and this guy's got you know a solid chunk uh, of NHL experience. I think he's got 80 games under his belt. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, solid trade from Bergman again, just asset management. As you mentioned, both of the guys leaving uh, are under expiring contracts. And so, yeah, it just gives you some flexibility. As you mentioned, you can qualify them. You don't have to qualify them. Uh, do whatever you wish. Uh, and so, yeah, it just seems like they, they sent out two... Uh, career AHL dudes for a career AHL dude and a guy who has some NHL experience. And I think that's that's a win in my books. Yep. Next deal, uh, Tampa Bay trades Danik Martell to Florida for Anthony Greco. I know very little about either of these players, except I believe them to be pretty high-end AHLers. Anthony Greco is uh, notable, I remember, for uh, winning fastest skater uh, at the AHL All-Star Game a couple of years ago, and he might have actually gotten uh, close to Dylan Larkin's record, if I remember correctly. So that's the extent of my knowledge about those two guys. Yeah, I've, and I have even less. I have jack shit. So, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> cool. I don't know what else to say. These right. AHL <laughs> trades, frankly, I don't do my research on them because, yeah, I just I don't, I don't know what else to say. All right, uh, so we, we were back to a, a big deal. Uh, I would call it a big deal. Anaheim traded Andre Kasha to the Boston Bruins in exchange for uh, a first-round pick, Axel Anderson, and David Backus, or more accurately, 
uh, three quarters of David Backus's cap hit. Um, I would say that this is a massive win for the Bruins, which uh, considering the, the market, I would have not expected to have a buying team come out on the winning end of a deal. But Andre Cash is 24 years old, uh, making a very reasonable cap hit of $2.6 million. He's under contract for this year and next season, and he's an RFA at the end of next season under total team control. Um, consider, I think what I, what I sent to you, I compared this deal to the Blake Coleman deal. Blake Coleman and Andre Kasha right now are pretty similar players. But Andre Kasha, first of all, not only is he under team control after, at the end of his contract, um, the Lightning also gave up way more for Blake Coleman than the Bruins gave up for Kasha. Uh, the, we, we mentioned basically two first-rounders for Blake Coleman. And here it's one first-rounder. Axel Anderson was like a, a B-level prospect. He was a late second-round pick. Uh, I don't see such a high ceiling. And not only that, Bruin, the Bruins also unloaded dead cap space onto the Ducks. So I don't really see uh, how this benefits the Ducks from their point of view. Andre Kasha, I know he has a hard time staying healthy, but he could have possibly been a very uh, key part of the team moving forward as they kind of retool and try to get back to the playoffs within the coming years. And instead, they've got this first-round pick who is probably going to be very close to the end of the round might turn into a good player. And uh, Axel Anderson, who I expect won't be much better than a bottom pair defenseman. Yeah, I have, no, I have no idea what the Ducks are doing here. They got absolutely fleeced. Uh, and and as, as sellers, they have no business losing trades like this. I mean, it's totally lopsided. Uh, so first, let's start with Andre Kasha. I mean, like, the return on this, like, just, he he's worth, like, a considerable amount and to get a first round pick and an air prospect is like an all right return, all right? It's like it's like it's a mediocre return. But to have to unload uh, that David Backus contract on top of it is completely outrageous because David Backus is not going to play in the NHL anymore. He signed next year as well, uh, and yeah, and the Bruins end up gaining cap space in this deal. As absurd as it is, it is as it is, uh, it's just crazy. I mean. Uh, the, the value that the Ducks got on Kasha is just incredibly low. Uh, I understand that, you know, Kasha has considerable injury history. I mean, this guy can't stay healthy at all. But still, when he is healthy, uh, he is a quality player that belongs in your top six. And so just to trade that away, he's only 24 years old. He's got team control uh, for years ahead down the road uh, for only a first, a B prospect. And then to accept that awful cap hit, I just don't even know what the Ducks are doing uh, and just got completely fleeced. Uh, the Bruins are out-and-out out winners. And, uh, yeah, if the Ducks wanted to get value for, for Kasha because they were worried, you know, this guy's not going to stay healthy down the, years down the road, this is not the way to do it. Uh, you're not getting nearly enough value and you are selling low, low, low uh, and just horrible management. We talked, we've talked a bit about how the, the Bruins – the gaping hole in their lineup was that second line right wing position. And it has been for a couple of years now. They filled it with rental Rick Nash a couple of years ago. Then he walked. Uh, Andre Kasha is absolutely perfect because not only is he a great second liner, uh, I think he'll complement David Craigie and Jake DeBrusque extremely well. He's also, as we've mentioned, as we've mentioned a couple of times, not a rental. He's going to be on the Bruins for the foreseeable future. I had thought about, Tyler Toffoli as a possible option for the Bruins on that second line before he was dealt to the Canucks. 
but uh, Toffoli would be a rental and would quite possibly leave, and then all of a sudden that hole exists again. And I would argue that the uh, the Canucks actually gave up more for Toffoli than the Bruins did for Kasha. Uh, Tyler Madden is uh, possibly around the same value as that late first-round pick, considering how well his development has gone. And not to mention, of course, Bruins managed to offload three-quarters of the David Backus contract. So all around, this is a big win for Boston and a, uh, a loss for the Ducks. Yeah, I would, frankly, if Andre Kasha was on an expiring contract and he was going to be a UFA at the end of the season, I would have given up a first-round pick and Axel Anderson, never mind unloading that David Backus contract. I would have given it up just for a rental, but the fact that he has team control, the fact that you managed to gain cap space in this trade, completely outrageous. Uh, and, uh, yeah, big Bruins win here, big Ducks loss. Uh, and probably... In my opinion, this is the biggest, this is the most lopsided trade we had this week. Uh, you know what? I, I think maybe in terms of uh, in terms of prominence, I would agree with you. Mulligan for Marchment might be a little bit more uh, uh, askew value there. No, no, never mind. Never mind. I agree with you. You're totally right. Yeah, more, more than I think about it, yeah, you're right. And Mulligan would be second place. Uh, I think that wraps it up on the uh, the Andre Kasha trade. Um and there was another trade later that night, or that evening, I guess. Vegas traded Cody Eakin to the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a conditional fourth-round pick that uh, could move up to a third, potentially. I'm just looking at the condition now. If Winnipeg makes the playoffs, or if they re-sign Cody Eakin before July 5th. Uh, I would say this is a win for both teams, actually. Uh, actually, I'll say I'll say win for the Jets and a tentative win for the Golden Knights because, well, the Jets making a playoff push. Cody Eakin is overpaid and having a pretty bad season. But uh, I think as a fourth-line center for a team like the Jets who have a pretty bad forward depth right now, I think they have actually the most disparity in scoring between their top six and bottom six of any other team in the NHL. Cody Eakin could be a big help, and they don't really have uh, too much cap concerns so uh, not, not a bad deal for the Jets. In terms of the Golden Knights, um, I want to see how they use this extra cap space that they just gained because they shouldn't be selling. They should be buying in terms of, well, they did also buy Alec Martinez and they're going to be making a push in the playoffs, try to win a Stanley Cup. Um, so they need to use this extra cap space in some sort of way to improve their team. Uh, I don't think it should be hard to use that three-point million in a way that's more valuable than Cody Eakin would have been. I just need to see them do it before I declare that the Golden Knights won this deal too. Yeah, I agree 100% on on all of those points. Uh, I think the Jets, uh, given that they have the cap flexibility this year because Cody Eakin is an expiring contract, uh, I think he's a solid depth addition. And, you know, they only give up a, a conditional fourth. It can become a third, but... You know, that at that point, you, you've probably, you know, won big. And so, yeah, a solid addition. Uh, obviously, Cody Eakin is overpaid, but I don't think the Jets mind that at this point in the season, given that he is a rental. And, uh, yeah, Vegas, it just we'll, we'll, we'll have to see if they uh, do anything with this cap space. If they don't, I think it's a loss because, you know, A, you had unused cap space in a year in which you're totally going for it. And B, I mean, no matter how bad of a season Cody Eakin is having, uh, and no matter how bad that contract is, I mean, it just it doesn't really move the needle much if if you don't do anything with the cap space because you know you can use uh, a depth guy like Cody Eakin. Cody Eakin, even on his worst worst days, 
uh, is an NHL player. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're giving him up in a, in a season where you're going for it, you better do something with that cap space. And so, you know, Vegas is definitely a team to watch. They got the cap space. They got the picks now. Uh, and I think they'll be, they'll, they'll be trying to make a big move in the coming days. Yeah. All right. Uh, last deal uh, came out last night between Toronto and Nashville before the whole uh, David Ayers fiasco. Toronto traded Ben Harper to Nashville for Mika Salomaki. And the extent of my knowledge about Ben Harper is that uh, he is a bad AHL defenseman and basically only sticks around because he is extremely big. I think about six foot eight. So that that uh, that kind of tells you what you need to know. Mika Salamaki, I thought he was going to be maybe a mainstay on the Predators' fourth line. It looked like he had a, was a, a staple on that roster for a while, around 2016, 2017, 2018. Then he just kind of fell off, got put on waivers, and he's been uh, in the AHL with Milwaukee for this entire season. And his numbers are not very impressive. So I would still call this a win for Toronto, more accurately a win for the Marlies. Uh, getting rid of uh, of Ben Harper, who seems to be a liability for Mika Salamaki, who I assume is at least a, a valuable contributor at the AHL level. Yeah, and, and Ben Harper, uh, given his very poor play recent recent years, he's become a bit of a hockey Twitter meme uh, because he's just that bad. And that's not a good sign for your caliber of play. And at this point, he is an okay ECHL player. He doesn't really belong in the AHL, let alone the NHL. And so, uh, yeah, for Toronto, get a warm body. Uh, Mika Salamaki, who does belong in the HL, yeah, solid trade. Uh, and so uh, that that wraps up, uh, unless there have been trades in the last 30 seconds. Uh, there have not. That is, the extent, that is the extent of the trades in the NHL and the AHL, basically, uh, over the past week. And so uh, well, I think we'll get into trade bait uh, after the Habs stock, but I think that wraps it up for our trades recap segment. Yeah, that, that was the recap on the 16 trades that have happened this week. Um, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the three games that the Montreal Canadiens have played since our last show, including the 4-3 loss to the Detroit Red Wings, making this a season sweep for the Red Wings against the Canadiens. Uh, I think uh, this was the first time the Wings have swept the Canadiens in the season series in uh, a very long time. I don't remember the ever. year, but it has... Ever. It was ever? All ever. time. Wow. Yeah. Wow, the they, they picked the year where they're... <laughs> yeah, so they... Not to mention, the Canadians also happened to blow a 3-1 to one lead in that game. So uh, that's what's most notable about it, is uh, four of the Red Wings wins have come against the Canadians this season. I think, what is it? It's 15 wins now, I think is the number. Four out of 15, uh, if you can do some quick math for percentages, but that's nearly one-third of the wins. So uh, embarrassing for the Canadians. And uh, for everybody else, just a, a funny little statistic, I would say. Yeah, totally embarrassing. I don't know what the heck they're doing. Uh, yeah, just that, that, that stat is insane to me, that they've never been swept by the Red Wings uh, in a season until now, and you picked a hell of a team to lose to four times uh, in a row. Uh, I just This team for the Red Wings is historically bad, and to have... Uh, the Habs lose to them and give them like a quarter or a third or whatever it is of their wins. Uh, just a total, an epic embarrassment. Um, you know, just how the season has kind of gone. You know, you're just playing down to your competition games that you should be winning, uh, let alone the multi-goal lead that they blew. They blew a multi-goal lead to the Detroit Red Wings. That is so absurd to me. Like this team can't score for shit and they scored three in a row and they won the game. And just, I cannot believe that this, like the, the, that, 
they lost four. They lost eight points uh, to the Red Wings this year. And I just it hurts to say uh, they'd be in much better playoff contention if they had won all four of those games. But I guess they haven't. And uh, in 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 the grand scheme of things, given our given the fact that I gave up on this playoffs last week, uh, I mean, kind of a positive. They won the they 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 beat a tanking they well they beat a tanking they lost to a tanking team, and so they make further progress in the tank progress that they then undid the next two games. We'll get into those, but uh, yeah, just uh, you you hate to lose to a team that's as crap as Detroit once. You hate to see it happen twice, and you sure shit don't want to see it happen three times, but somehow they got it four times this season. Uh, completely outrageous, uh, and, and just an embarrassing thing for the Habs, uh, for the players, and for, for everybody. And uh, yeah, kind of miserable, but also kind of funny, uh, even as a Habs yeah. fan. Yeah, that, that was the thing about it, because uh, Claude Julien and a couple of the players, I think Shea Weber among them, uh, there were... Oh, by the way, we, have, we didn't even talk about Shea Weber's uh, miraculous return. Uh, they had said four to six weeks, and then he returned against the Red Wings. Uh, that w- that's a pretty weird, pretty weird thing. Anyway, he he was back about the Red Wings. What I was gonna say is people were kind of poking fun at them because there were a few quotes that came out. Uh, Claude said something like, "Oh well, if we're not gonna, I know I know we have extremely long odds, but if we're not gonna keep gunning for the playoffs until it's officially zero percent, then what are we even doing here?" And Shea Weber said something about needing to come back and join the team for the race. Uh, but the way I look at it, if though, that's the job of the coach and job of the players is to keep trying to win games, keep trying to gun for the playoffs. The problem would be if Mark Bergevin had the same mentality and wanted to gun for the playoffs and didn't want to sell off the, the pieces. So that's something that makes that loss to the Red Wings a little bit sadder is that as far as we can tell, the players and the coach were totally on board, fully invested in trying to win this game against the worst team the NHL has seen in an extremely long time. And they managed to blow a 3-1 lead still. Must oh, Wow, incredibly devastating for them. But uh, to be totally honest that night, I was somewhat disconnected from, from the team. That was the fifth loss in a row. So playoff dream, basically dead. Yeah, and uh, we, we, this, we see this thing with, with tanking teams all over the place, all, all sports, uh, where you know the players and the coaches, I mean, they're playing and coaching for their jobs out here. Uh, they want to make a good impression. It's just uh, the, the tanking comes directly from the management. And so, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's squarely on Bergevin in order to, to make this tank happen or to screw it up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just pathetic that they were trying their hardest and they lost to a team that is basically 95% AHL players. Uh, hmm. And I can't even name half of them. And so just, uh, yeah, an embarrassing game. And uh, an embarrassing way to end that losing streak, or like it was the last loss in that losing streak. And so, really, just to cap it off there, uh, I think we can, you know, move on from that total shit show uh, and move on to the next game uh, where they, you know, there's something that happens where they just somehow they play a great team in the Capitals, a playoff team, and they manage to win. Uh, and so, uh, that was the next game, and they managed to end that five game losing streak right there. And so, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, well, the big storyline with that game uh, was Arturi Lekkinen, 
who I believe took the warm-up, was a surprise healthy scratch at the last minute in favor of Jordan Wheel. And it being trade deadline season at all, everyone was kind of, uh, you know, got a little frantic, wondering, oh, have they traded him? Birchman, I think, was, was in Denver for a lot of this week. Uh, he's reportedly very interested in Ryan Graves, which I don't know why the Avalanche would be interested in all giving up Ryan Graves, but that's the story. So, so people are thinking maybe Lekkonen would all be part of, a, part of a return package for Ryan Graves. Uh, and uh, But that wasn't the case. Lekkonen is not going to be traded. Uh, Lekkonen wasn't hurt or injured. He was simply uh, a healthy scratch. And a couple of the players were kind of surprised by this. I don't remember who it was. I think it might have been uh, Tatar, uh, kind of throwing a little bit, sh- bit of shade at his coach post-game, feeling like Arturi Lekkonen should be above the tier of players that comes in and out for performance reasons. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was the main thing that I was – very, very surprised about that uh, Lekkonen would be scratched, especially because he seemed like, uh, based on the ice time, he's one of Claude Julien's like, favorite players, most trusted players. Uh, but yeah, but the Canadians played well without him. Ben Sherratt scored two goals uh, to get, I think, number nine in the season for him, including the, the overtime winner. So uh, yeah, all around, good effort from the Canadians. Uh, good win against one of the, the best teams in the NHL, even though they are on a bit of a, a slump as of late. And uh, it's nice to see them, you know, not lose maybe every single game down the stretch and continue to turn out turn out a couple of decent efforts. Yeah, as much as uh, I am a fan of the tank, uh, it's always good to see a, a win against a playoff team. Uh, those kind of things, they, they don't get old, even no matter how bad your team is. Uh, yeah, just a solid win. Uh, moving on to the third game of the week. Uh, it was just last night, and I switched it off to watch the Leafs game. But uh, we can still talk about it. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, the Habs, came out and basically dominated them throughout the game. And they won 3 nothing. Price got the shutout. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I know I want to say a, a bit of a piece on Carey Price uh, and, his re- and his play. But uh, before you get you into that. About the game? Yeah. Yeah, before you, before you get into Carey Price, uh, one of the things I was most looking forward to about this game, uh, Carl Alsner was called up. Uh, to play his first NHL game since January of last year, 2019. And uh, you might remember well, uh, the day he was signed, July 1st, 2017, was uh, not a happy day for me. I was well aware that Carl Alsner was uh, an overrated player who belonged at best on the bottom pair and that any team that signed him was going to be overpaying. And I was hoping it would be the Jets because reportedly it was Montreal and Winnipeg with the front runners, but but alas, he chose Montreal, and uh, I was not very pleased with that. But by all accounts, he is a, a a very nice person, which I have no reason to disbelieve. I just wouldn't want him on my roster if I had any intentions of making the playoffs, but I didn't. So I was kind of looking forward to see if he would be uh, decent at all. And uh, from what I saw in his limited minutes of replacing uh, Xavier Wallet, who is now injured, uh, he didn't embarrass himself. So. Congratulations to to Carl Alsner. And uh, one other note about the game before you talk about Carey Price. Um, on Max Domi's first goal, he was left totally alone in front of Craig Anderson. And when Paul Byron, I think it was, uh, gave him a pass, he had all the time in the world to basically walk around Craig Anderson and tap the puck into the net. It was just for me, uh, what stood out to me about that play, which I think uh, is, well, a lot of fans of any particular team would 
uh, obviously focus more on how their team is doing than the opponent, I couldn't help but notice, wow, the Senators' defense looks totally and completely discombobulated. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's personnel. I would tend to believe that personnel is some of it, especially after Thomas Shabbat left the game. Their best defenseman left was quite possibly Mike Riley or Ron Hainsey, one of those two, uh, accompanied by the likes of Nikita Zaitsev, Andreas Englund, and Christian Yaros were the were the six for the Senators last night. So uh, that that's one thing that stood out to me, that uh, the mm-hmm. Senators' team defense, as well as defensemen themselves, were... Uh, were quite uh, terrible, awful. Those are the only words I can think of. So uh, if you want to jump right into your, your little Carey Price talk right now, then uh, by all means, go right ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, what I said I want to talk about his play, that was actually a, a bit of a misleading statement. His play has been all right. It's been okay, you know, whatever. What I want to talk about is his usage, okay? Like, I cannot believe that this guy is playing so much. For the love of God, why can't we get... Any sort of backup playing time, whether it's Lindgren, it's Primo, or hell, Kincaid, I don't give a crap. Just give him a break. I mean, why is he, like, I saw on Twitter, he's played 15 of his last, of the Habs' his last 16 games. 15 out of 16. That is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Uh, he, he he has the most starts in the league by a bunch of games over Carter Hellebuck, who's second. Uh, just the Habs, who are no longer in a playoff spot, who are no longer near the playoff race, uh, just... I don't know what they're doing playing him this often. Uh, this guy's under contract for God knows how long, like seven years after this one, maybe uh, seven years. And uh, just this asset manager we'll talk about with Bergevin. This is an example. Maybe it's not under his control. Maybe it's called Julian. It's just it's very poor asset management because this guy is going to be on your team uh, for seven more years under that, uh, frankly, horrendous cap hit, over $10 million. Uh, and the best you can do is to make sure he's as good as you know he's as good for long as possible. And you're gonna wear you're gonna wear out the treads on these tires uh, if you continue playing him 15 out of 16 games. They have need to figure out the backup situation right now. And frankly, I don't care if the backup is horse crap. Uh, for all I care, put call up Keith and Kate and put him in net because this season is lost. There is no point you know tiring out, overworking your superstar goalie uh, and just. Yeah, we do, we see the effect on goalies down the line over the years when it comes to fatigue. When they play too much, they fall off a cliff. Their play falls off a cliff when they you know enter the twilight of their careers. And the Habs, with the contract that they've given this guy, they need to you know make like they need to to kick that can down the road for as long as possible. And it makes no sense to me whatsoever why you aren't playing a backup at all. It's ridiculous. He's playing back-to-backs. He's playing three night, three games of four nights. It just seems like any scenario, there's not a single consideration given to whoever's on the roster. Right? There's been Charlie Lingren recently. But, uh, yeah, it's just like they, nobody's playing. And I have a big problem with that, given that he is going to be on the team for a long time. Um, I agree with you by every single account. Um, and I and I'm glad that you mentioned it, and I'm glad that you went into it deep because honestly, uh, I just I simply don't have the energy to complain mm-hmm. about that because it's just it's such a a big problem, and I think my I would I would tend to think that this is uh, Claude Julien's doing. I think it's him who's just he's trying to win games. He's got a short term vision. He's not thinking about uh, the last six years of Price's deal after this one. Um, so, so that's, that's where that concern is. And honestly, if this keeps going, 
even after like in well into March, uh, I would have to start blaming Mark Bergman for not stepping in and saying, all right, give Charlie Lindgren some playing time, start him, give them like a 50, 50 split for the rest of the season or even anything. Just, I don't know. Anything would be better than this. Play Charlie Lindgren a couple more games. Um, yeah, so Mark Mark would have to step in. In terms of uh, the long-term future, uh, the best we can do as fans is hope that this isn't incredibly damaging to Carey Price as it could possibly be in terms of when he gets to being 35, 36, 37, 38 years old. Uh, what I hope is going to happen is Caden Primo steps in next year to be the full-time backup, and we see a bit more of an appropriate split. Maybe, hopefully, Price could get down to somewhere in the 55-game area code, with Caden Primo filling in the rest. But honestly, if they could even get Price down to, like, 60 starts, then we might have to be be okay with just something. I just want, want to know that they're considering the fact that they need a strong backup to take some pressure off of Carey Price. Yeah, uh, it's just... I don't know what much to say. And and when it comes to asset management, I just want to add this in real quick. Uh, if you're going into the trade deadline as a seller, don't you want to really pump and dump a lot of these guys? And a candidate for that, I mean, why not Charlie Lindgren? I mean, why not give him a handful of games, uh, show the league what he's got, and then maybe you can ship him off? Uh, I know a bunch of goal, uh, teams are looking for, what, cheap depth goaltending options. Uh, I know there aren't too many teams, but, you know, the market's still there. And so, yeah, even just trade-wise, it doesn't make sense to play Carey Price for a million games in a row. I just, I, I pray that, you know, when we see the league, uh, especially during, you know, the playoffs, trend towards success is based on, you know, how good, uh, like, these tandems are, right? We see a lot of tandems and we see them go deep into the playoffs. Uh, and so, yeah, just we talk about these tandems a lot. And it just seems like the Habs are running away from that trend, going in the complete opposite direction and giving Price. Yeah, at the, at the end of the season, I don't even want to know how many starts he's going to have. Maybe like 65 or something like 66, 65. We're getting into the upper 60s at this point because they're already at like 55. And so just, uh, yeah, just for the love of God, give him a rest. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, long term, you just you want to see whether it's Primo uh, stepping into a large role. I, I'd love to see Caden Primo take a, a large chunk away from, from Carey Price's time, maybe even get him down to 50 starts. I'd be perfectly fine with that. Uh, I, I know that Carey Price is paid like a starter, but he is overpaid. And so, and there, and there's nothing against, you know, giving some rest, uh, especially since Primo is, you know, on his entry-level contract. And so just, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of options they can do. They can sign a guy off the street next in the off season, just, yeah, I want to see this problem solved, and I think down the road, long term, be given how uh, the cap is so, we've given so much cap space to carry Price's contract. Uh, this will become more and more of a priority issue as Price reaches, you know, his twilight years. Yeah, a uh, little bit of news on waivers today. Uh, the Maple Leafs have just played placed a winger Dimitro Timoshov on waivers. Pittsburgh placed Andrew Agazino on waivers, and Tim Schaller of the LA Kings, who they just acquired as part of the. To Foley package is on waivers as well, in addition to the New Jersey Devils' new signing Julian Melchiori and the Ottawa Senators' new signing uh, Hubert Labrie. So uh, I, just a couple names out there. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see uh, Timoshov get picked up by a team and looking for some depth. Same with Andrew Agazino, who's been quite all right in limited minutes with the Penguins. Yeah, uh, 
for a bunch of these teams that are trying to make the playoffs probably could use them as a uh, depth and uh notable thing this is the last day of waivers uh these are the last you know batch of waivers before the trade deadline and so yeah just a little thing there um so i think we can move on to our ne- i think that wraps up Habstock. uh yeah and we can move to potential trade bait because the trade deadline is coming up this week and there have been a bunch of rumors on who could be moving uh, and, and to where. So you want to get into that? Any name you want to start with? Yeah, well, uh, I've got the, the, TS, the TSN trade bait list pulled up. Uh, and Chris Kreider remains at number one on the list. Uh, now, as far as I can tell, this list is kind of a, a mix of who is most likely to be dealt and who are the biggest names. And I think uh, Kreider is uh, by no means a sure thing to be traded. Uh, I would put it at uh, at best around 50% because it seems like uh, the Rangers are still pushing hard to try and sign an extension with him. So we don't need to spend too much time on that. Uh, John Gabriel Pajot, on the other hand, as well as Vladislav Nemesnikov, two Ottawa Senators, number two and three on the list. Uh, I think it's pretty likely they both get dealt. Almost a sure thing, at least, that Nemesnikov gets traded to uh, any team that's looking for some sort of, uh, you know, uh, middle six forward, probably more of a third line forward. Uh, Nemesnikov can play any three forward position. So really any playoff team, I think, would be a good fit, possibly for around a third round pick. Pajot would probably be more expensive. Otto's probably looking for a first-round pick to make a trade like that on someone who's who's already got 27, uh, 24, sorry, 24 goals this season, having a career season as a, a set, probably a second or maybe a, a good third-line center on a contending team. Yeah, and I think Ottawa can't afford to lose it, cannot afford to lose these guys uh, to you know free agency. And so, given that the fact, you know, they are absolutely sellers, uh, you either, uh, first of all, I think definitely, absolutely you deal Nemesnikov, but I think you have to get an extension done with Peugeot, uh, or you ship him off, because uh, this guy has a lot of value at this point, he's having a great season, and so, uh, yeah, to let him walk in free agency, I mean, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised with this franchise, uh, given the, you know, how they're total crap, but look, uh, the, the right move is to, to ship him off for a huge return, I think you can get you know, lots of stuff for Peugeot or to sign him to an extension because, yeah, he can be totally part of this, uh, you know, the, the, the long-term fix uh, for the Senators. Yep. Another name on this list, uh, number five, Tyson Berry. Um, I would be, for one, pretty shocked if the Leafs moved him, even if it is for what's being reported as, oh, they would, they would do it if they got a similar right-shot defenseman under team control. Uh, I don't see it happening. Uh, personally, what I see is TSN and Sportsnet trying to get the wheels going on these Tyson Berry rumors to get Leafs fans to tune in to the trade deadline show tomorrow. Uh, I think that Tyson Berry is probably going to stay a Maple Leaf beyond the trade deadline um, because, well, that's just that's just the Leafs are still uh, in contention. They're still in a playoff spot, and I don't think Kyle Dubas is the kind to overreact to. Uh, to this one bad game last night, no matter how bad it was. So so that's what how I see that situation. I don't think the Leafs will be selling. I don't think Tyson Berry is going anywhere. Yeah, I don't really see how any of this can work out. I mean, like, uh, for the Leafs to acquire uh, an equal caliber defenseman because they are trying to make a playoff push, right, and, you know, potentially make a deep run, uh, although I don't think it's going to happen. But I think they need Barry. 
without Barry, I think they're going that deep decor uh, as thin as it is right now. It's going absolutely nowhere uh, without Tyson Barry. And so uh, I don't see a scenario where they can get uh, a return where they get a guy back uh, who can help them out in the short term. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think this is kind of a bit a bit of a media narrative that's been constructed. Uh, I know I know when they were struggling, I know some teams did call uh, the Maple Leafs uh, to inquire inquire about Barry, but I, I just don't totally see it happening. I think it would be it would really surprise me uh, if the Leafs went in and first of all it would like shock me if they only got picks back and they didn't do anything with them. Uh, but it would probably surprise me just as much as if, if they got a return wherein you know they get a a, a second pairing top four defenseman. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All right. A couple of New Jersey Devils names on this list. Sammy Vatnin is one of them. Even though he's injured now, it probably won't be out for that much longer. Uh, I th- I see a perfect fit with the Vegas Golden Knights for Sammy Vatnin. They do have a couple similar players, but the thing is, uh, their best right shot defenseman is Derek Englund at the moment, whose minutes have decreased dramatically this season. He's even been scratched a couple times. So they've basically got uh, a lineup of entirely left shots. So someone like Sammy Vatnin, who can shoot right, can play on the power play, uh, can possibly play in the top four as well. Uh, I think that would be a, a fantastic addition for them. But, of course, they're probably not the only team looking to add someone like that. The other Devils' names, Kyle Palmieri, is a little further down on the list. Uh, I don't see the Devils moving him. Tom Fitzgerald, the uh, interim GM, said it's going to have to be uh, something that blows him away, which, of course, someone could pony up something like that, but I don't see it happening. And uh, Wayne Simmons is on this list. It was reported Vancouver was the front runner at one point. That kind of fell through. Um, but I still think there will be teams interested in his services, even though he is just uh, a bottom six forward at this point in his career. And I expect that he's going to get traded today or tomorrow. Yeah, Wayne Simmons, uh, for the last couple of years now, it just seems like he's been a mainstay on these uh now these trade deadline trades, and I remember he got traded last year as well. And uh, yeah, going back mm-hmm. to Sammy Vatten in a bit, uh, given the defensive market, given you know how good Sammy Vatten is, uh, I think it's gonna somebody's gonna really have to pony up. And if they do, I think we can uh, absolutely see the Devils pulling off a third uh, great return uh, in this sell-off because you know they they have they have a bunch of quality players, uh, and obviously they were trying to make a push this year, but. Despite the fact that it hasn't worked out, it's left them with a bunch of players on, you know, expiring contracts and whatnot, uh, and players who have tons of value. And I think the right move is probably to ship them off because, you know, they're rebuilding again. And uh, if they can get a great return, uh, I think overall this whole trade trade deadline period, I think New Jersey can absolutely come out as the number one winners. Yeah, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk is number seven on this list of the Montreal Canadiens, of course. Uh, we were talking, we've been talking recently about how a second round pick is quite possibly the, uh, the bare minimum that we'd be expecting, but, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk has been on quite the, the slump the past couple games. Um, he is, uh, pointless in his last six games now, dating back to that overtime goal against the Maple Leafs a couple weeks ago. So considering he has a, uh, a qu- quite a small sample size in the NHL this season, especially in comparison to almost all these other names on the trade bait list, this little slump could, uh, could actually impact his value quite a bit. So to be honest, I'm kind of worried whether Montreal will be able to get uh, uh, a good-looking return for Kovalchuk or 
if they would uh, possibly, worst case scenario, hold on to him and try to get him signed to an extension. Because at this point, considering that uh, his play has kind of fallen off, uh, I'm not sure I would be so enthusiastic about signing him on for another year because it's possible that the uh, the magic or whatever you want to call it, the adrenaline, has kind of uh, faded away from his original arrival in Montreal. Yeah, he's gone cold and his value has gone down, uh, whether it's whether it be the next year on this team or just, you know, as a trade deadline piece. And so uh, very unfortunate. I mean, very poor timing in terms of, uh, you know, the trade deadlines approaching and whatnot. Uh, I still maintain that the top move probably is to trade him. Uh, you call a bunch of teams, you try to get as much as you can because, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, looking at the list right here. He's a top five uh, forward uh, on this market. Uh, because it is a pretty weak year uh, in terms of uh, for for in terms of options uh, to buy a trade that trade deadline, and so yeah, I just I think extend I think we saw I saw a number on Twitter it was like three and a half million. They're like uh, negotiating that kind of number. I don't like that number That's at all for much. Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, it's I mean even for one year, I think there are much better uses of cap space, uh, and especially given this cold slump here, I don't think it's appropriate at all to sign him to that kind of deal. Deal. And so, uh, yeah, I think I, I think the position here is to move him, uh, definitely move him for as much as you can and, and call a bunch of teams and take whoever's got the best off. Yep, uh, I would agree with you about that. Uh, Nate Thompson, of course, also on this list. I expect he'll be moved for something hopefully around a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, Jeff Petrie is uh, on this list, uh, but uh, I I don't think that he's going to be getting moved um, whether or not that's the the smart thing to do, we can we can talk about that some more. But I don't think we have to. Thomas Tatar isn't on this list, so I think that uh, Mark Bridgman's work is probably going to start and end with uh, pure rentals. Ilya Kovalchuk and uh, Nate Thompson selling them off. Uh, another name on this list is the Red Wings' probably best trade chip, Andreas Athanasiu. Uh, for for starters, he is by far the worst plus minus in the NHL this season. Um, but he is also one of the fastest players in the NHL, making $3 million, Andreas Athanasiu, and uh, is an RFA at the end of the season. And uh, Jim Matheson uh, of the, the Edmonton Journal has uh, has been well documented that he thinks Athanasiu would be a great fit with the Oilers. Um, and uh, But there must be interest from other teams, Colorado included. I think the Red Wings could probably get at least uh, maybe a couple second rounders for a player like this. Yeah, and uh, you know we we all we all, I think we all know that plus minus is uh, not the greatest indicator of uh, individual performance to say the least. Uh, but yeah, just like Detroit, uh, they they should be selling as much as they can. Uh, maybe even weaponizing their cap space because I know they've got a bunch uh, to facilitate maybe a three way trade or something like that, uh, or to take a cap dump. And so uh, yeah, Detroit should be active sellers here. Uh, because they really have nothing to gain from these kind of players. I know Athanasio is an RFA. He's got some team control ahead of him, but uh, I, I, I frankly don't think he's part of the long-term solution in Detroit. And so, yeah, selling him off, uh, you can definitely get a hefty return for a guy under team control like that. Uh, probably the right move there. Three more players that I want to talk about from this list. Uh, unless uh, maybe if you have the list up, you have any more you want to talk about specifically? Yeah, I've got three. Uh, two of them are uh, Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Joe Thornton actually was on record yesterday saying that it is it is extremely tempting to waive his 
no-move clause to go join a contender. So that would lead you to believe that he is quite open to it. Um, and Jeff Merrick said, uh, would there be anything quite like him trying trying to join the Bruins, the team that drafted him first overall and traded him away in 2006 to try and uh, bring him to the promised land, go on another cup run. And uh, you know what? Kind of, kind of makes sense. I could see him fitting in nicely, maybe third-line center, moving Charlie Coyle over to the wing. Uh, you would, I think he would be a nice addition to the Bruins. I'm sure a couple other teams wouldn't mind having him center depth. Uh, Toronto possibly uh, maybe would, would like to, to, you know, bring him up there. Uh, I'm sure there are probably a couple other teams that are sniffing around that situation. And personally, I don't think it would be too incredibly expensive to, to acquire him. Patrick Marlowe, kind of in the, the same boat probably about as expensive, about about as effective. And there are plenty of teams that could use that uh, bottom six at this point in his career, winger, with uh, all that experience, leadership, those intangible qualities that GMs love to talk about. Yeah, I think if you're trading for him, you're, you're trading for those intangibles uh, that can't necessarily be measured or quantified. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Joe Thornton would be a great addition locker room-wise. Uh, and, you know, as a depth piece, you know, bottom six, whatever, uh, for any sort of team. And uh, narrative-wise, I mean, I think we'd all love to see Jumbo Joe win a cup. Uh, his, you know, his his struggles to win one have been well-documented with the Sharks, uh, who keep, you know, making long runs, but they never actually win the damn thing. And so, uh, yeah, Patty Marlowe as well. Uh, we saw him leave to go for Toronto, maybe to chase the money, but also try to win a cup with those guys. And so and that, that didn't work out great for him. And so uh, both of these guys, uh, wish them the best. And uh, if they do end up raising the Sally Cup, uh, I'm, I'll sure be happy for them. Last player I want to talk about is uh, Robin Leonard of the Chicago Blackhawks. Pending UFA, he signed a one-year deal with them last summer. Um, they were reportedly in talks with the Hurricanes, who were looking to uh, for a goaltending upgrade. But uh, talks kind of uh, fell apart. But after last night, where the the Hurricanes, both their goalies got injured. James Reimer, I think, is going to be a little more long-term. Peter Mrazek, there's still no timeline. That the talks started heating up again last night. So Robin Leonard to the Hurricanes is a, a storyline to keep an eye on. And it's pretty funny because it's very rare you'll see a team that wants to buy at the deadline who is looking for goaltending. Because normally, if you don't have a, a good goaltending situation, then you won't be very good. And that will uh, cause you to be selling at the deadline rather than buying. So it's a very unique situation there with the Hurricanes. And uh, I think Robin Leonard could quite possibly end up there by the deadline tomorrow. Yeah, it's a weird side effect of that, you know, that Carolina-Toronto game that we dived so deep into, is that Carolina came out of that game very, very injured. I mean, not to mention those two goalies, those two, they're, they're, they're tandem, basically. They're, both of them are gone. They don't have a starting goal. I heard uh, Reimer's out long-term, and Razik, they're not sure. They still need to evaluate him. But they also lost, you know, one of their top defensemen, uh, Brett Pesci, in that game. He got cut by John Tavares' skate. Uh, he's out long-term probably as well. Uh, for a while and so you know they needed a defenseman I heard they were linked to Zach Bogosian uh, who was you know terminated because he didn't report to Buffalo's AHL team and so that's maybe a name to look out for but yeah Carolina uh, they they won a big one last night against Toronto but they come out very battered and uh, in basically instantly after one game uh, become buyers at the trade trade deadline because they're they're just missing bodies at this point they need a goalie uh, because they don't have one right now that's NHL caliber who is healthy, and their defense is 
it looks extremely thin. Not to mention Brett Pesci, but also Dougie Hamilton, who's out, also out long term. We talked about that when that happened. But uh, yeah, talk about one of these teams uh, that is completely ravaged by injuries. All right. Uh, so I think that could be that is be it for the trade bait discussion. Um, so time to move on to our standings segment. Would you say? Yeah. So uh, all you listeners out there. Uh, we know this is a weekly segment, and uh, we, we, we really haven't really figured out a name here. Uh, we, we had a little brainstorming session. It didn't work out so great. Uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing too crazy or fun. And so uh, if you have any ideas for this weekly standings recap segment, uh, please contact us through whatever means possible. If you know us in person, you know, text us, whatever. If not, tweet us. Uh, I, we'll mention our Twitter handles at the end of the episode, uh, I guess. They're in the description. And, uh, they're in the description as well. And so, uh, you know, tweet us, uh, you know, find us find us on Facebook, I guess. I don't know. Find a way to reach out if you listen and you don't know how else to. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just if you have a great idea, we'll definitely take it into consideration because we've got nothing right now. And if you win, uh, we'll give you a free shout-out uh, if we have a winner. And uh, so, yeah, that's something. Uh, get that fan interaction going because uh, that, that, that's what's up. Sure. All right. Fantastic. All right, so I've got the Atlantic Division pulled up to get this this segment underway, this nameless segment. Uh, Last week, the Lightning were just a point behind the Bruins. They've lost two games in a row now, and the Bruins have kept their uh, their hot streak up. And there are now five points that separate the Bruins and the Bruins' lead from the Lightning in second place. Yeah, it just seems that it's a a horse race there, up and down, up and down. Uh, the, The Lightning... Uh, before this, you know, this little two-game losing streak, they were uh, on that torrid pace that got them there uh, to first place in the Atlantic for for a couple of days there. And so, uh, yeah, a race of honor. Who's going to win this division? Uh, both these teams are playing incredibly well. Uh, and uh, yeah, they just definitely probably the two, you know, the two best teams in the league right now, and they're in the same division. They're probably going to have to face each other in the second round, which is pretty outrageous. Uh, but uh, yeah, just points wise. Uh, I do believe there are one and two overall in the league. And uh, also just on, like I test, there's just the talent uh, and the way they're playing just off the charts. And so, uh, yeah, some, somebody's going to come out as a two seed uh, and uh, we'll just have to keep an eye on that race. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Metropolitan, the Penguins have passed the Capitals. Most would say they've been playing better than the Capitals for quite a while now. Uh, but Washington had built up a significant lead in the first month or so of the season, and they've been slumping a little bit the past week or so. So the Penguins have passed them, uh, now on pace to win that division, and the Capitals are sitting second place, lined up right now to play the Philadelphia Flyers uh, in the first round, who sit third in the division, a couple points ahead of teams, Islanders, Hurricanes, and Blue Jackets, who all sit with 74 points at the moment. Yeah, and uh, underratedly, I know we've talked about how Pittsburgh and Washington are both been very good this season and probably run away one and two in the division. But if you look point-wise, uh, I mean, I know six points is a lot, but still it's it's definitely doable with a hot stretch for one team and a cold stretch for the other. And so there are only, what, six points spanning uh, from first uh, place in that Metro division and sixth place with the Blue Jackets in that division. And so, you know, if we, we see, uh, I, I know... Pittsburgh has lost two in a row. You mentioned how Washington's on that slow slump. Uh, I think we can actually see this race tightening up even more, uh, which is incredible considering you know how tight that race is right now. Uh, with those right now, I think it's three teams fighting for two wildcard spots. But 
realistically, you could say that, you know, a lot, maybe even six uh, are, are really duking it out, uh, trying to get those playoff spots in the Metro because uh, after those, because it is, it is the stronger division, of course, after uh, Tampa and Boston, but after that, the, the, tal- the caliber of teams in the Atlantic drops off considerably. And so uh, we'll be, we'll almost definitely be seeing five teams uh, from the, the Metro uh, come playoff time, but it'll remain to see which teams it will, uh, at which teams it will be. And one team I want to point out uh, who have been absolutely awful, uh, and, but who are still in the thick of this uh, wildcard race, they're tied uh, for a wildcard spot, is the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've lost eight in a row. Uh, so we talked about how they they were torrid at one point with Elvis getting shutouts left and right. Uh, I think he had five and eight games. We praised him, but he has gone ice cold. And uh, I think I think we can say that the primary reason for this uh, this long slump is talk about an injury plagued team. You want to get into that a bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll talk about that. I sent you the the list last night on all the injuries the Blue Jackets have had. It's been all season that they've been uh, riddled with injuries, but somehow it's gotten even worse lately. Oliver Bjorkstrand was just announced a couple days ago he'd be out for 8 to 10 weeks, and he was playing on the top line for the Blue Jackets, producing a ton of their offense, so that's a massive loss. In addition to uh, Cam Atkinson, Brandon Dubinsky, who, well, hasn't played in quite a while, actually. Seth Jones, their best defenseman, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Alexander Wenberg, Ryan Murray, Josh Anderson, Alexander Texier, and Dean Kukan. Plus Jonas Corpusalo, who is now on a conditioning loan on LTIR, and he's been out for a while, too. That is when uh, Merzlikens took over to begin with. So that is 10 players out for the Blue Jackets right now. So, yes, it is pretty amazing that they've managed to hold on to a playoff spot considering the situation for a while, but uh, it's looking like it might finally be catching up to them being winless in their last eight games. Yeah. And, and when you sent me that list last night, I was the, my first reaction was, wow, that's basically half an NHL team right there. Goalie included. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, these are, just, these are not no name bottom six scrubs. Uh, these are, you know, they're a lot of their star players. I mean, Cam Atkinson, I know he hasn't had a great year, but he's been a, he is a key contributor to that team. Not to mention Seth Jones, who is a defensive superstar. And just you just the, the, you go down the list, and these are just key pieces to an NHL franchise. And to lose them out, and most of them are out long term. And it's just, and it just seems like every other day I get a notification where it says, "Oh, a new Blue Jackets player is out this many weeks." And so, yeah, I, I mean, they've been doing great. I think they're. Their system has been great this season to even get them in a playoff spot right now. But yeah, as you mentioned, I think the regression is coming. I think it's already here. Uh, eight games in a row. And uh, yeah, it just seems that the injuries have finally caught up to them. Uh, which is a shame because this team has been playing very well. And they were playing like a playoff team during that playoff stretch. Uh, during that short stretch there. And uh, yeah, I think this... I mean, unless they can turn it around very quickly. Uh, not a great look for the Blue Jackets. While we're on the Metropolitan Division now, might be a good time to mention Alex Ovechkin, who yesterday afternoon against the New Jersey Devils hit that big milestone that's been uh, kind of, we've all been waiting for for the past little while. 700 goals in the NHL. He's only the eighth player all time to hit that mark and the second fastest to do it, or second youngest, one of those after Wayne Gretzky. Um, So he's joined obviously extremely elite company, but players like Gretzky, Gordie Howe, uh, Brett Hall, uh, Esposito, uh, I don't have the list memorized, but 
those those players are all there. Uh, the next player he's going to pass is Mike Gardner, who I believe has 708 career, I think was the number. So Alex Ovechkin is most likely going to climb into seventh all-time before the season is done. And don't be surprised if he becomes the third player all-time to hit 800 goals in possibly about two years' time. Yeah, and we've sung our praises a lot for this guy uh, over the past few weeks. Uh, and his it's just ridiculous goal-scoring op- uh, capabilities. I know he's been on a bit of a cold track, but still, look, this guy has 700 goals, and uh, he just keeps going. He keeps going, and uh, yeah, we've talked about this record watch, you know, chasing Gretzky's record, whatnot. But, uh, you know, one goal at a time, and he seems to score them in bunches. And just, uh, yeah, congratulations to, to Ovechkin. And, uh, yeah, just greatest goal scorer of all time. I know we've said it before, uh, and I, I don't have anything else to add. I want to point out uh, another team here. Uh, the New York Rangers are 8-2 and two in their last 10, and right now they're just four points behind that uh, second wildcard spot. They've kind of come out of nowhere uh, a little bit. Um, and with the Hurricanes uh, injuries to their, their goalies now, we don't know exactly what that situation is. The Rangers kind of have a little bit of an opening to to maybe take advantage of the situation with the slumping Blue Jackets, the exposed Hurricanes a little bit, and possibly climb into a wildcard spot. Uh, so that's a situation I'll be keeping an eye on. They've kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And they've ridden... Uh, their goaltending, and funny enough, for the first time in forever, it seems, it's not Henrik Lundqvist, who surprisingly was a healthy scratch the other night, and so he's fallen to third on their death chart. And so, uh, yeah, it's been uh, Shosturkin and Georgiev, and Shosturkin in particular has been lights out uh, as a rookie. We've talked, uh, when we talked about the Rangers goalie situation, we talked about him as, you know, a future guy who uh, potentially will take the, the crease for, for years to come, but it seems that his time has come uh, this season, actually. Uh, he's played, I think, 10 games, and I think he's won nine of them or something like that. He's got a 940 save percentage. Uh, and so, yeah, he's just been lights out. And, uh, yeah, the, the Rangers have ridden that. Uh, you mentioned they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. And they've got two games in hand on the Blue Jackets, who are four points ahead. And so, you know, we can absolutely see them passing the Blue Jackets uh, and uh, maybe even beyond. And so maybe we have to look at even more Metropolitan teams uh, in that playoff hunt for those, you know, frankly, all division spots and the wildcard spots. Uh, and it just, well, just, we've seen these crazy hot stretches, uh, throughout the season. You know, we've seen our Columbus, uh, our Carolina to start the year, uh, both of the, the Penguins and the Capitals. And, and maybe this is the Rangers time to shine. And, uh, yeah, just a situation to keep an eye on because, uh, yeah, they're looking red hot for a team that was supposed to be rebuilding this year. Yeah, this is kind of the season of uh, young European goalies coming out of nowhere and playing great for significant stretches. Shesterkin, as you mentioned, Ilya Samsonov has been great all year for the Capitals, uh, playing a bit less than Braden Holtby. And uh, Merzlikens was uh, a superstar for a couple weeks there, though he's fallen off a little bit lately. Um, so at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, still the Detroit Red Wings, of course, on pace for 44 points right now. Uh, they are sitting at 34 at the moment. So if they can manage to get three more wins from now until the end of the season, then they will have cleared our bar. So they would need to go on quite the slump, even by their standards, to not clear 40 points. Uh, an interesting thing I want to point out about them, they are the first team to be mathematically eliminated from playoff contention before the trade deadline since the Pittsburgh Penguins of 2003-04. So that's unfortunate. Uh, well, uh, we, we I think we all saw this coming. 
uh, this elimination. But uh, yeah, before trade deadline, that's pretty crazy. We don't see that often given the parity in this league. And uh, yeah, another stat I want to shout out uh, relating to our David Ayers conversation that we had earlier. Now, David Ayers has more wins than poor Jimmy Howard has since Halloween. And so, uh, yeah, shout out to that. And uh, we talked about Jimmy Howard before. We mentioned how his record has been atrocious. Well, there's, there's, some, there's just more to pile on for this poor guy who can't seem to win a single game. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, moving on to the Western Conference, uh, checking out these teams. The Pacific, we've talked about how that race has been very close. Uh, and Vegas uh, has been pretty resurgent. They won five in a row now. And uh, they're on top of the division, holding a two-point lead over the Canucks, who are in second, and who, and then one point behind that uh, are the Oilers. And so, uh, yeah, this, 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 it just seems like uh, you know a back and forth, back and forth. Every week we check in, and there's a new team on a hot stretch. And uh, yeah, this Pacific is wide open. Obviously, Vegas has uh, the lead right now, but I could see any of these teams winning the division. Yeah, uh, I I agree with you on that. Um, the Coyotes are also just uh, a point behind the Oilers, but they have played four more games. It's kind of been the the story with them for it feels like the entire season that uh, they're they're just barely hanging on to a wild card spot, but they have played more games than anyone else. So it is only a matter of time before those uh, games in hand, or I guess opposite of games in hand, whatever that is, catches up to them and they slip out of the the playoff race. But um, they they sit in the spot right now, technically. So we could still be seeing the Coyotes in the playoffs at the, the end of the season. Not too sure about that. In the Central, on the other hand, not much has changed. Uh, the teams were a little bit tighter last week. Dallas has kind of fallen off firmly into third place. And the uh, the Jets are in a, in a playoff spot right now. Second wildcard spot with 69 points uh, and uh, ahead of one... One point ahead of Nashville, who have two games in hand. So not much has changed since last week in the Western Conference. But uh, lots of uh, game disparity makes it hard to uh, accurately judge. Yeah, and this race is like like the the Metropolitan race. Uh, It's very tight surrounding these wildcard spots and and the the cutoff between, you know, no playoffs and, and, you know, getting the playoffs, getting into the playoffs. Very tight right now. Uh, so the Predators and the Flames are tied in points. They're only one point behind the Jets, who have the last wild card spot. And so, uh, you know, uh, we 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 kind of, you know, I, I just I love it when there's this kind of race this late in the season. Uh, sometimes we we see at, at one point in the season where it's just you see a huge gap between you know the the, the playoff teams and the non playoff teams. But it's nice to see in both conferences we got a tight race and. Uh, yeah, when we get to the end of the season, especially when there's only a handful of games left and these games start becoming really, in essence, playoff games, uh, they just become that that much more uh, exciting. And that's that's kind of why we watch hockey here. Yep. Uh, all right. So this show has uh, gone on quite long. I think this might be our longest yet, actually. Uh, and I think that's that probably wraps it up. Uh, I don't expect that we will be doing a, uh, a trade deadline a recap show uh, and I don't think we're going to be doing anything out of the ordinary schedule until next weekend, unless there's some sort of shocking deal like a Tatar or a Petrie or, and I don't know, an Alex Petrangelo, then, we, then we'd probably uh, consider an emergency show. But don't expect it. We'll probably be back next Sunday, March 1st, uh, with a new show discussing the, the trades that will be happening over the next two days. 
yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be talking about how Kovalchuk got traded for a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, but we can only pray at this point. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.